Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Featuring former Major League Baseball umpire Joe West. For six decades, no one has seen more baseball than Joe West. And now he shares those stories with you every week right here on the Podcast Heat Network. is asking the Reds to leave the field. I guess maybe as a form of security. Well, Joe West is not going back behind the, the catcher. So what is he doing? He, he wants to throw him out or what? He's not going to back away from confrontation. It's just not in his makeup. Which guy are we talking about back in the way? Well, come to think of it, hey, it's both guys. <laughs> and they're warning the Atlanta dugout now. A helmet came flying out. Bobby Cox, I don't think, threw the helmet. One of his players did. But Bobby's jawing back at Joe West. But somebody's been tossed, and here comes Cox. It was Bobby Cox who threw the helmet out there. Off the umpire, and oh. that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled, and he appears none the worse for it. <laughs> He's a strong man. Nice. Now Joe's going to give him some argument because Mark's saying, "Why do you do?" Joe, just get over there and umpire, will you? Yeah. Just get over there and umpire. No. That's all. It's fifty-four sixty. The Joe West podcast. Here's Joe West and your host. Mike Claiborne. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of 5460, the Joe West Podcast. I'm Mike Claiborne, and our special guest today, he's done a lot of things in the game of baseball. He's a son of a Hall of Famer. He had a great career as a player himself. He's coach, and he's even a broadcaster. So he's done just about everything that baseball can offer. It's always a pleasure to visit with one of our favorites, Eduardo Perez. Eduardo, thank you so much for being part of what we do. Man, are you kidding me? I, do, I, I wouldn't miss this for anything. <laughs> the stories that I've learned from Joe and you, are you kidding me? This was, I'm actually honored to be here with both of you guys. All right, so, so my, my first question always is, how did you and Joe meet the first time? <laughs> I think I was a little kid running around Riverfront Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
come in a little bit later. And as kids, we used to run around, especially in the tunnels of Riverfront, then Synergy, and now no longer, um, where while the players were out doing their batting practice and coming back into the clubhouse, we would just play. And we're talking about Ken Griffey Jr. We're talking about just you know, a lot of young um, kids, uh, including my brother, the McRae's. We were all there, uh, the Lee May Juniors. And and that's what we did from and, and have a good time just playing baseball in the tunnels. And the umpires would walk in. And from all the greats, that have uh, been there, that have umpired the game and that played also against the Reds, we were able to always get to know them there. So for me, it's um, it's an honor to have not only seen Joe when I was in those tunnels, but then all of a sudden see him also as a son of a, uh, of a major leaguer in the dugouts, then all of a sudden playing at the major league level and getting that strike call from Joe, just like it was with uh, Frank Pulley and, and all the other greats that, that, that have been able to wear that uniform and, and do it right. Well, I can, I can remember all those kids running around the tunnel. And I, I mean, the, I think the only person that had more fun in those tunnels than you guys was probably the Philly fanatic. He, he did more <laughs> jokes than everybody else in those tunnels, but I think he's still a little kid, but uh, that's true. I can, I can remember the first time Pete Rose's kid came to our locker room in a spring training game and he had these shoes on with cleats and they, you could tell they were way too big for him, but he liked to hear him click on the concrete and Joe Morgan had given him a pair of shoes and stuffed toilet paper in the toes so they would fit. But you know what though? That just tells you how little Pete Jr. was because of Joe Morgan's shoes were big on him. And the great thing is, Joe, that all those kids, including Pete Jr., which uh, who was my best friend uh, growing up, and we still have we still talk to this day and have great conversations and great memories of the past. Um, it's 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 fun to hear his name and along with all the other kids that I ended up growing up with. Well, Eduardo, for you as a youngster, it, that had to be a real kick. Being uh, the son of a Hall of Famer, Tony Perez, and being around all those other great players on the last team that actually won back-to-back from the National League, the Cincinnati Reds, the Big Red Machine, how much baseball were you, were you guys learning? Because I would assume with Sparky Anderson being the manager, you guys were had to be sponges at that point as far as the game being taught to you from these guys. Absolutely. And we had some rules. And even when we were five, six, seven years of age, and some of, you know, some, my brother was nine and everything, we had rules that we had to follow. So it wasn't like we just showed up with my, our moms and that was it. No, if we were to go early to the ballpark, we knew when we were allowed on the field, when we had to leave, when the players came out to do their job, that's when we went to the tunnels to do our job, to continue to play. But most importantly, Sparky would pull us aside in spring training, would bring us all in. And I learned this from him, and I think it's a great asset for any future manager out there is embrace the family. He would let the kids know, look, boys, if we win, you're allowed in the clubhouse after the game. You're allowed in the clubhouse before the media after the game. If we lose, and there wasn't a lot of losing going on with the Reds in 75 and 76, but if we did lose, we weren't allowed in the clubhouse at all, not even 
after the media had left, not even after most of the players have left. That is sacred ground. That the players are reflecting on why they ended up losing so they can leave it all there and then go home to the family. I thought it was real cool. Another rule that we had, Joe might not like this one, but I sure did get a kick out of it, was when we were, when the game started, we had to be in our seats to watch the game. And every time a call would go against the Reds, we would have to yell at the umpires. Classic <laughs> one. My go-to line was, hey, umpire, you need glasses. And we loved it. And um, every time a call strike, we were we would yell, and it was it was hilarious. The fans around us thought that we were cute, but we were being serious about it. We're like, you missed the call. And as Joe would later tell me, he said, Eduardo, in all the years in the big leagues, I never missed a call. That doesn't mean I got them all right, but you never <laughs> missed a call. Right. Yeah, you guys were a lot quieter when you played. <laughs> <laughs> Merrill made sure of it quickly. I get to the big leagues, and I think it was my second and third game in the big leagues. He's behind the plate, and it was a pitch that maybe it was outside, maybe it wasn't. And he would go, and I'm like, where was that? There? Well, he goes, that's a Hall of Fame pitch. I go, yeah, but that's not a Hall of Famer on the map. <laughs> but it was a Hall of Fame pitch. Yeah. Well, you've had the gift of gab, and you talk to everybody. You're, you're such an outgoing person. What was the conversations like with you and some of the umpires, and how many times did you and Joe have your moments? Oh, we, we had our moments, but it was always with, with respect. And I think, you know, you, you, you have respect for those that have been doing it for a long time, and you have respect for those that came up through the system and were able to then – do it at the major league level. That was always one thing that my father and, and all the other big leaguers always taught us was get to know who they are. It's not just the men in blue. It's who they are as people. And I, to this day, when I broadcast games and I've, you know, I've done this year, every Sunday, I go into the umpires clubhouse. I do it every time Joe was in a game, I made sure that I go into the clubhouse and, and, and go see them to see how they are doing as people, because most of most importantly, you know, it's, it's, we're all in this together. We all have a job to do. Some days are better than others. Uh, big league players go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, and some days they go 4 for 4. And it's the same thing when it comes to the umpires. It's the same thing when it comes to the fans. It's the same thing when it comes to the broadcasters, that you're not going to have your A game. You wish you did, but sometimes it happens. And, and, um, Get, getting to know them is the most important part, I think, uh, when it comes to it, from McSherry to uh, Frank Pooley, who was one of my favorites. And I, we used to imitate him. My brother and I and all the other kids used to imitate the umpire, the calls. I thought that was the, the coolest part of, of growing up. But at the end of the day, it was, it was it, you know, it's about family. And family includes everyone on that field. I think that's a, a good point, and I've, I've often said that. In fact, uh, I think it was a year ago when we started checking gloves and uh, the uh, the pitching coach for the Cardinals, Maddox, brought all the gloves in to the umpire's <laughs> locker room. Says, We're bringing them all to you now. If there's a bad one, throw it out now. <laughs> <laughs> the player rep was there, the big left-handed pitcher, 
uh, Andrew Miller. Andrew yeah, Miller. and I said, uh, I said, you know, people don't understand. We're all in this together. We're all part of the family. I said, now families are going to have arguments every now and then, like you have arguments with your kids and you have arguments with your wife, but uh, that's just going to happen. But I think I think a lot of people don't understand that that the baseball industry is a family of people like you just said, trying to do the very best they can at, every time they go out there. And, and like you said, there's going to be successes and there's going to be failures. And uh, so I think that's a very good point that as one of the reasons we're doing this show is to show everybody that umpires aren't the two headed monsters that everybody believes they are. And uh, umpires. Well, have well, when you strike, when you strike out on a strike three call and it's, and you feel that it's like maybe six or seven inches outside. I might have some words for you. But you're absolutely well, right. You know, but that's that's part of the game, you know. <laughs> I mean, what are you what are you going to do when that machine calls you out and uh, and the ball bounces? <laughs> you're right, and this is the thing. And this is the thing, and, and what I love about the purity of the game. I remember one time it was um, uh, Charlie Relford was behind the plate in San Francisco, and it was a blowout. San Francisco was absolutely just crushing us. I was with the Reds, and even Lenny Harris ended up pitching in this game. And I remember coming up to the plate, and Charlie said, it's a, it's going to be a big zone. We need to get out of here. And I said, yes, sir, no problem. I love that because that's I grew up on that. You know, it's, it's okay. Let's open up the zone. Let's go. And when the machines started coming in, it was Questec, the first machine that came in. Then from there, they moved on to others for the evaluation of your job. I think there, there, there should be a point where let's turn those machines off and let's get going. Let's move it. Don't, I, you know, and, and I get it because there comes a time where if it's a blowout, it's a blowout. The other day, Sunday, we saw Albert Pujols on the mound, right? So when Albert was pitching on Sunday, it was, you know, it was exciting. It was fun for the fans. They were all cheering. A lot of fans already had gone home. It was Sunday night. But at the same time, it's time to turn those that system off and let's just get this game over with, right? But you as umpires are still being evaluated, even in a blowout, when it's a non-pitcher on the mound. Yeah, and you know, when, when we first put in that Quest Tech machine, Kurt Schilling took a bat to one of those machines <laughs> and beat it to death. <laughs> and so, uh, and I've, I've told this story many times, but I can remember working with Andy Fletcher and I'm working across from him at second base and he had a great game the night before he comes to me and he says, you know, he said, the machine said I missed six pitches. I thought I had a good game. And I mean, he's down in the dumps because he, they live and die by this machine, you know, because they, they want to do the very best they can. And uh, he said, it, the machine said I missed six pitches. I said, well, I was working across from me. I didn't see any pitches, anybody even arguing. And I said, how many did the machine miss? He said, oh, it didn't track 14. I said, let me get this straight. The machine missed twice as many pitches as you did, and that's what we're going to use to call balls and strikes. <laughs> So, you know, I've always said that the best utility player on the field are the umpires because they change positions. Every <laughs> you look at it, right? Uh, by yeah. the way, Joe, uh, one thing I never asked Joe was, so what was your favorite position to umpire? Was it behind the plate? 
Well, I paid a lot more attention when they're throwing a ball at me than I did when I was working at third base. <laughs> but uh, the the funny thing about uh, the different angles that you have to get into to call a, a play, you can get out of position anywhere out there. I mean, sometimes the players will take you out of position. Sometimes you'll run yourself out of position. The most famous, or I should say infamous call that Don Deckinger had, he over-hustled in the World Series and missed the play at first base. And everybody in St. Louis blames him for the Cardinals losing that World Series, but that, that wasn't fair at all. He was over-hustling because he was in the World Series and he ran himself out of position. Uh, Jimmy Joyce's play with uh, yeah, pitch, was a perfect game. Yeah, the pitcher in Detroit. When uh, Cabrera went to get the ball, Joyce went one way and it was the wrong way. So he, he pushed himself out of position because the player went one. He was he was adjusting to who was going to field the ball. And uh, that happens. And that's why we put replay in. And that's because we wanted to fix the mistakes that we could. Uh, but there, there's certain things that you can't fix. And, and there's certain things that replay can't even fix that they don't know. I had a ball in right field in the playoffs. Altuve hit a ball in uh, – against, uh, who was it, Boston? Yeah. And the outfielder jumped up for the ball, and the, and the spectator closed his glove. Now, the question was, was the glove over the fence where the spectator could interfere, or was it over the playing field where the spectator couldn't? So it appeared to me from where I was that he was over the playing field. So I called interference and called out two of out. And – uh we, we had told baseball from the beginning, the first place we need cameras is down the fence line, looking straight down the fence line to see if the ball's over the fence or not over the fence. And don't you know, they didn't have that angle. So, I mean, one of the first things we wanted, because we're so far away that we can't see that as accurately as we should, that baseball's yet to put it in. Right. So, those, I mean, and it, you could put it on a foul pole and leave it there permanently. You wouldn't have to move it every day. But uh, baseball never put it in. And it was funny because the next day, Rita and I went to lunch with a famous lawyer down there, and he's sitting outside this Italian restaurant, (laughs) and he's smoking a cigar, drinking a glass of red wine, and he's looking at the buildings across the street. So when we pulled up, I said, what are you doing? His name was Sam Adamo. I said, Sam, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for snipers. I think you're safe. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Eduardo, for you uh, as a player and as as a coach and now as a broadcaster, what would you like to see more of and less of in the game? Wow. um, I'd love to see more, believe it or not, small ball when it comes to strategy involved i think obviously national league losing the designated hitter um we're not going to see a lot of the uh the the small stuff we see and i'm not talking just about the bunting or the hit and run i'm talking about just that play at second base where the the runner's coming in to break two and he's going to change the angle of how that second baseman is going to receive the baseball if he's coming across the bag if he's going to take a step back to avoid the slide. And that way you get that extra runner at first base, that extra light 
instead of it, him being out at at, uh, at first. Um, I wouldn't mind not seeing the shift as much anymore, just because I would love to see also the athleticism of our infielders. And um, I think it's something that's also lost, that diving play that's made to uh, to the left of a shortstop coming up, popping up and seeing what we grew up watching Ozzie Smith make those plays, or even if it's Gary Templeton, or um, I can go recent with Omar Vizquel as well. Uh, but guys like that that had a, a sixth sense of how to play the game, I think we're losing some of that athleticism and also instincts of, uh, of the game. But I don't miss not seeing a lot of strikeouts. We're seeing a lot of strikeouts, right? We're seeing pitches that hitters right now, because they're swinging the same way, are having a big hole in the top part of the zone. There are those uh, short amount of hitters, a uh, little amount of hitters that can still handle the pitch up, but can still use their legs and handle the pitch down and hit the ball the other way when needed, moving the runners over. All those little things, I think, are are things that I miss in the that I miss seeing on a consistent basis, on a nightly basis, out there because. Players aren't doing it at the minor leagues, so why should they at the big league level? Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Well, let me ask you a question. And this is uh, basically something that nobody does anymore. When was the last time you saw a hitter play pepper? Well, a lot of those signs say no pepper back there because you were going to mess up the grass and the ground screw was going to get upset, right? How many times <laughs> have we seen when I played in Japan, Joe, it was if you didn't take infield, you weren't playing that day. Oh, I can't. I'm not going to take infield today. Oh, you're not? Then you're not playing. That's the yep. bottom line. We don't take infield pregame anymore. It's the it's the show in Japan. It's a must thing. Why? Because the <coughs> expected. It's part of the show. Yeah. Um, it's not part of the show here anymore, because we have so many first pitches. We see the other day in St. Louis, I saw I think it was three first pitches before a game, um, and we've seen this. And it's not only St. Louis; it's all over now. Where uh, there are so many things going on in the field that we don't see the show that is also the pregame show for the fans uh, while they're sitting in the stands watching their players do their craft. Um, I think the that. handling of the bat when it comes to the to pepper. And pepper, a lot of people think it's about the hitter. It's actually about the defensive guy as well, being able to, to, to field that baseball, how to funnel it uh, to the center, sometimes flip it over to the guy in the middle. All those things are right. We are, we have lost it. And, I don't see us getting those back either. But that was my point. My point is uh, handling the bat when you play pepper is to hit it at this field or hit it at that field or whatever. And, I mean, because uh, they asked Rod Carew one time, said, what would you hit if they put the shift on you? And he said 900. <laughs> and uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that <clears throat> his bunting average when he bunted the ball was almost 700. And so they said, well, why don't why didn't you bunt more? He said, because they played in to take the bunt away. I thought I could hit it by him. But, I mean, this is the kind of guy that handled the bat. He'd move the better. And I can remember watching the photos when Henry Aaron passed away. 
he hit just as many home runs to the opposite field as he hit to the power gap in left center. I mean, this guy hit the ball where it was pitched uh, as, as your dad did. And uh, uh, you were talking about the shortstops and Rita gets on my case all the time. She says, you bring up names that these young people are not going to remember. And you just brought up Ozzie Smith and Gary Templeton, but your dad played with one of the best shortstops of all time. And, and so, yeah. I mean, and, and I tell people all the time, he'd be in the hall of fame if your dad and, and Joe Morgan and bench weren't because he was the best shortstop in baseball at the time. And, uh, those, those little things like like that, uh, you, you mentioned the DH, and I've always said that the DH takes away from the game. It takes away from managing the game. It actually hurts starting pitching because they don't take them out in a normal scope of a game when you need a pinch hitter in the fifth or sixth inning or seventh inning. So guys like Billy Martin and Earl Weaver would burn those starting pitchers out because they weren't going to take them out to go to the bullpen. And then uh, – the DH, my biggest pet peeve with the DH is he doesn't have to bat. So Ron Fairley said as soon as they put in the DH back in the 70s, he says, that just gives the pitcher carte blanche to throw it whoever they want to because they don't have to bat. And my biggest example of that is Roger Clemens. When he pitched in the American League, he was a headhunter. I mean, he was a quality pitcher. He was the closest thing to Seaver. Uh that I saw, but uh, he would throw at anybody in the American League. Well, when he played for Houston and they were in the National League, he didn't hit anybody all Outside year. Outside corner. Outside <laughs> corner, here we come. <laughs> but I think a lot of that has been lost. You know, and the other day, we I think we witnessed it in the Astros-Red Sox game uh, where Nate Evaldi ended up giving up five home runs in one inning. You imagine in the seventies a pitcher giving up five home runs in one inning, and none of them. And I'm not saying a hitter getting hit, but at least they would be moving their feet one way or another. Oh yeah, yeah. We were throwing in, and Nate Evaldi and none of those pitchers threw in. And this is American League, and obviously National League also now with the DH. But I'm just I was like, okay, you have to at least come on, show me this. Instead, it was two fastballs for home runs, two cutters right down the middle of the plate for home runs, and one curveball that uh, Yuli Gurriel hit for a home run as well. You know, like something has to give one way or another. If not, your bullpen's going to have to come in, in the second inning and relieve you after a five-pitch first inning, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, I have another issue uh, about games that uh, – and, and you would remember this because you were around as a kid to see it. But we don't play our playoff games in a, in a time where everything is perfect. And what I mean by that is we don't have any day games in the World Series. And we're starting games at 4.30 in the afternoon so that television, West Coast. Yeah. television can get them in a time slot. Where you, you're taken away from the game – when you start with a shadow between home plate and pitcher's mound, you're taking away from the best hitters in the world. You're helping the pitchers who are already as good, you know, and, and throw harder than they ever did before. But you're taking away from the, the fabric of the game when you start at a bad time like that. And I, I think you, you should – I think the Players Association has dropped the ball because they should say, we either play at 1 o'clock or 7 o'clock. You pick. 
you know. Yeah. And I, I have a cute story about that. Well, it is about the money. <laughs> and they're paying a lot of the freight. But the, how much money is enough? You know what I mean? I mean, I can remember when Bart Giamatti was uh, the president of the National League. He, he had uh, replaced uh, Chubb Feeney, I think it was. And the commissioner was Peter Gibroth. And we have a playoff game in New York between the Mets and the Dodgers. And uh, it's going to get rained out. There's no way we can play. I mean, it's a deluge. We can't play. So we're going to call the game off. And television went to Giamatti and said, we need prime time tomorrow. And I happened to hear him. And I, says, I said, Bart, if, if you play it, eight o'clock tomorrow night. We can't get to LA for the game the next day. We can't get there. You're going to have charter a plane for us to get there. So he looked at you broth and he says, what I do. And Peter, you brought said, tell them you're playing tomorrow at one o'clock. And if they want to televise the game to be there, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he did. He said, the game's at one o'clock and they, the television people got mad. But he said, we, we, have, we have logistics, too. We have to play at 1 o'clock because that's the only time we can play. And that's what we did. But we're, we're cowering to, to TV for some of this stuff. And, and everybody says, well, well, that's where the money is. Okay, but how much is enough money? We need, we need our players to be at their peak performance. We need our umpires to be at our peak performance. The shadow affects the hitter, the catcher, and the umpire more than anybody else. Yeah. Oh, and I understand 100%. You're absolutely right. I played with the Angels. I remember we had Sunday Night Baseball there, and those games at the time started East Coast in the at 8 o'clock in the East. Yeah. 8 o'clock in the East, that's 5 o'clock right there. We had to face Randy Johnson. And I was like, okay, I love facing Randy Johnson, but not with those shadows. <laughs> then I had Hideo Nomo in L.A. at a 5 o'clock start as well. I'm on, okay, great but you don't want to face this splitter at that time. And yeah. then you're right. The umpire not being able to see it as well, but in, in the postseason, the game that I started for the Cardinals was against Kurt reader. And it was a, it was one of those again, shadows lefty, not Randy Johnson, but still the shadows really nasty. And especially I had a traumatic cataract in my left eye. So I never was able to see from my lead eye at all. So with those shadows, and not being able to see from the lead eye, I was okay. Please throw it over the plate, and maybe I'll become a collision hitter, like Rudy Harmito would say. <laughs> but that, those are those are little things that we're talking about. What we could fix and 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 make the game better. I mean, every one of those things is is right. I mean, you know, uh, I, I I'm not so big on. Let them do the shift because if the ball player is that bad that he's not going to try to hit it the other way, he deserves to be out. Uh, and I mean, even the greatest hitters we had, the Aaron's, the Ted Williams, even the Mickey Bannels and, and, and the older guys, they could hit the ball the other way and they would hit it the other way. I mean, um, when they had the All Star game at Anaheim, they asked a couple of the young players, one of them was Pedroia, they asked, uh, they asked Rod Carew what his favorite song was. <laughs> and he said, the national anthem. They, they said, what? I said, yeah, the national anthem. He says, well, why is that your favorite song? He said, because I know when I hear it, I'm going to get two hits that day. Hey, Eduardo, for you as a player, as a broadcaster, 
you saw you see some changes in the game. Who, who's the best player you ever played with, and who's the best player you played against, and how would you stack them up to the players you see today? Best player I ever played with, Albert Pools, hands down. Albert Pools, when I first got to St. Louis from Japan, I left the Cardinals, and then the year that I went to Japan was the year that Bobby Bow was with the Cardinals, and he got hurt in spring training. They brought in Albert Pujols, and he never looked back. And I would read up and see about who Albert Pujols was, but then all of a sudden playing with him and being in those hitters' meetings with him, and Mitchell Page, who had who's passed since, was our hitting coach. Albert would sometimes just take over the meeting. And I was like, are you kidding me? And then he would say in the game, this is what I want to do in my next at-bat. I'm going to look in a certain spot, and if the pitcher throws it there, I'm going to hit it to right center with authority. And he would do that. To me, hands down, the best player I played with. The best player I ever saw and played against Best player I ever played against, Barry Bonds. I wouldn't miss one pitch, one at bat. There was something special about the way he took pitches. It's not so much that he hit the home runs. It's not so much that he hit the ball hard. It's that he put himself in hitters' counts when he knew that pitchers were sometimes trying to throw the corners, hit the corners, try you know make him uncomfortable. Yet he would wait for his pitch and he would swing, as he would say later on, at strikes and catch the ball with the barrel. He caught it better than anyone I ever saw. Yeah, he was quite the hitter. I remember in Houston one time, Phil Garner told the pitcher to throw at him, and he threw a, a curveball behind him. <laughs> so I warned the pitcher, you know, because I knew they were throwing at him. You know, you're warned, but it was a curveball, so – you're, it's just a warning. So Gardner came out and he says, uh, he said it was a curveball. I said, yeah, that's the only reason he's still here. If it was a fastball, I'd have thrown him out of the game. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, he says, what well, it was behind him. I said, I don't care if it's behind him. He said, you know, we're not doing too good throwing it in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> the next pitch was high and inside, and Barry fouled it off. And he got back to the box and says, Barry. I'm trying to throw this guy the game for throwing at you, and you foul it off. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Next pitch to hit him right in the ribs. Okay, now you're gone. <laughs> so, hey, can you guys sense trouble? And Joe, you you've been yeah. obviously been in you know countless games, five thousand four hundred and sixty. Every time I saw Joe, I sensed trouble. No, just <laughs> <laughs> no. But you know, when you see guys, and maybe there was something that took place in a previous game or a previous series, and maybe there's some bad blood. And even for you, Eduardo, as a player, coach, and manager, can you guys kind of sense what's about to happen and how do you try and head it off? I, I could. I, I don't know if it's because I grew up in a clubhouse, grew up in a dugout, um, and you sense what is, what's out there later. But, but absolutely, I could sense it. And, um, you know, there were times I was thrown at one time by Randy Johnson, who I have a really good relationship now with, and, and everything, but I knew, you know, and I told the players on the team, I said, he's not going to throw at Victor Martinez. This was in 2006 when I was with the, with the Indians. I said, he's going to throw at me. And, you know, we had hit Posada before and Victor was like, he was nervous. I said, Victor, don't worry, he's not going to hit you. Just dig in. He's going to throw at me. And that's exactly what happened. Victor came up. I think he flew out. 
first pitch to me was literally right, you know, it was right at me, but I already knew. So I was on my heels and I stepped back and missed. And he got ejected from the game on that one. Uh, but I sense it when you're playing defense also, and you know that, you know, something's about to happen as a defensive player. You don't know that maybe the sign was put on or the pitcher's taking it up on, on his own, but you could sense trouble uh, on the field. Hey, folks, I'm glad you're listening today and having a chance to listen to Joe and our favorite guests we have on. But I want to talk to you about something else. You know, it's that time of the year where guys are getting a little frisky about different things, and they want to make sure they can perform on the field and in other rooms of the house, if you know what I mean. That's where Blue Chew comes in, and this is something, Joe, that we have had a chance to talk about. And Blue Chew is something that we need to let everybody know that can really help them in a lot of different areas. Well, the coolest thing about Blue Chew is it's an online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. And the chewable tablets are there at a fraction of the cost of the other stuff. You can take them anytime, day or night, just to get yourself ready for your performance later on. Or anytime. That's the great thing about it. You don't have to set the clock. You can just go when you go. But, you know, here's the deal. So for people who've never heard of Blue Chew, let me explain to you how it works. You just go to bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll see your prescription in, in about a few days. It doesn't take that long. It's a, it's a quick turnaround. And the best part about it is you're doing everything online. Just like you're listening to this show, it's online. No doctor's office visits. No awkward conversations about what do you think or I've got a little problem. And, you know, the neatest thing is you never hear your name called in a pharmacy line at the, at the, at the pharmacy. Bluetooth tablets are made right here in the U.S., and they're prepared and shipped you direct to your door in a discreet package. So if you want more information, just check them out, bluechew.com, and you'll find out that you will have a lot in common with the postman after a while. You'll also find out that first impressions, they are important. But with Blue True, I can guarantee you this, it'll make a lasting impression. And that's what this is all about. So it's time to get off the couch, fellas. Let's get in the ball game. You're messing up. You're wasting too much time just thinking about it. Blue Chew will get you moving in the right direction, and I do mean up. You know, a great songwriter once wrote, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And of course, you probably have never heard of him. It was me. But the Blue Chew is free when you use our promo code, Joe West, at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping, and the BlueChew.com promo code Joe West to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. Yeah. Well, I got I got caught off guard one time. I was working home plate in the All-Star game. And the hitter came up and handed his phone to Yachty or Molina. <laughs> Nelly. Off guard, really caught me off guard. And Yachty turns around and, and Nelson Cruz put his arm around me, and I had a microphone. I couldn't even tell him to get the hell away from me. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> that was great, by the way. I loved every second of that one. It was really good. So, Joe, when you sense trouble, what are you trying to do as an umpire? Well, if, if you're working with a young umpire who's behind the plate, you try to let him know. I was in Minnesota one time when uh, – uh, the shortstop for the uh, for the Twins did something to show up the other team, and I 
And I walked down between ends. I said, now, the third hitter this inning is going to be the shortstop, and they are going to throw at him. When they do, you need to kick him out of the game. I said, if they get a couple runners on, they may not throw at him. I said, but if they get two outs and he comes up with nobody, nobody on base, they're going to throw at him. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. But uh, so you, you can tell. I mean, you have a feel for the game. You know, Jerry Crawford's dad, Shag Crawford, umpired in the big leagues for like 20 years. And he used to say, you have to get a feel for the game and understand what's going on. And Shag was really good that way. Bob Engel was good that way. Bob Engel could call the pitches before the pitchers threw them. He, he studied the game that much. And, uh, but, uh, you have to pay attention. I think a lot of our problems today is, uh, and it's umpires as well as players. We're relying too much on the analytics and the, and the zone evaluation, this stuff, instead of paying attention to what's going on in the game. I mean, uh, it's like uh, they, the hitting coach tells the hitter, you know, 70% of the time, three, two, he's going to throw this pitch and he, and the hitter goes up and, and take strike three because it wasn't what the scouting report said. Well, that just blew the analytics right out of the water. You have to pay attention to the game. You have to understand what's going on. Let me ask you this, Joe, because for me it's really interesting now with the pitch com that the pitchers are using. It also has the middle infielders and one outfielder also can find out what the catcher is sending the message to the pitcher. I've, I've come out and I've said it on, on air that I believe that the home plate umpire should also have a pitch com on. If you were to have a pitch com on as a home plate umpire and you know that a slider is coming, would that be better or worse for you as an umpire to make a call? Well, anytime you know what's coming, it's going to be better for you. Absolutely. Right? That's what I yeah. thought. I think that that's why I'm always, I would lobby for umpires to have the pitch com. Yeah, well, I, I don't know why we have all that extracurricular stuff anyway. I mean, the guy's got the the, the lineup card in his cap, and he pulls it out to see who he's got to, how he's supposed to pitch this hitter. I mean, wh- what happened to the scouting report? What happened to having a meeting before the game? I mean, uh, I can – Oh, they still I, have those. They still yeah, have you those. still have them. <laughs> it's just retaining the information, I think, for a lot of those guys is like – Wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's an old story about Tom Seaver and uh, the catcher that they were going to put in to catch for Jerry Grody because Grody was hurt, was excited because this is going to be the first time he ever caught Tom Seaver. So he didn't go to the pregame meeting to go over the hitters because hey, it was Tom Seaver. I just put down whatever and he's going to throw it and whatever. Right. So the first inning before he could put down a sign, Seaver's throwing the ball. So he went out after the first pitch and says, what are you doing? He said, well, you didn't need to see the scouting report. You didn't want to know what I was going to throw. So you just get back and try to catch it. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't didn't take a sign from him all day, you know, and he threw like a (laughs) three-hitter. I mean, it was was unbelievable, you know, and the catcher, he's scared to death because he doesn't know what Tom's throwing. So, I mean, it it makes a difference. I think that – uh, I think this is a, a team sport and everybody involved as it has to play like a team. And, and like you were talking about earlier, 
This is a family. You know, everybody on the field has something to do, whether it be the bat boy, the ball boy. Uh, it could be the usher, the ticket taker. We're all part of this big family. And, uh, and we're lucky to be witnessing a piece of history every day. I just want to let you know that I have done all of those. I've been a ball boy with the Phillies. I've been a bat boy also with the, with the Reds at one time. And I was also, I also scalped tickets in Montreal. I got in trouble, for that, <laughs> but I've done all those three. Hey, Eduardo, one of the things I've always appreciated about you is how you watch the game. And maybe some people say he's a good sign stealer, but you were so observant. And I would imagine that started when you were a kid being around your dad and all those great players. But is that a lost start in the game now as far as guys being able to pick up on things that maybe most people wouldn't? And I think we see it with Yadier Molina. I think he was the best at paying attention to what's going on around him. But is it a lost start now? Absolutely. I think it, I think it is. And I think it, it's the organizations, the ones that really have to instill it in the players. But we're seeing now every time we put the cameras in the club, in the dugouts, the players are actually what they're doing is they're looking at their iPads. You know, mm -hmm. they're looking at their iPads to see what what's going on and with their at bat or with the pitcher and how he is throwing the pitch from this visual instead of looking out on the field to see maybe what the shortstop is doing, what the second baseman is doing. Um, I have so many stories when it comes to that. One was in 1983 when it was the first time I was able to be in uniform during a game. And I was flipping seeds in the dugout with number 43, John Denny, right-handed pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies. And one of the seeds hit, hits Pete Rose in the back, and he looks back, he doesn't pay attention to it. The next one flies right by him. And those seeds, those sunflower seeds were just, I was nicking them flying, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. All of a sudden, Pete notices that it's me, snaps at me with a few profanity, uh, with a few words of profanity in there, and Pete was like, you know, he's, he's like my uncle. He's like another father figure to me. I grew up in his house in Cincinnati. And, and then he said, you're going to sit. If you want to wear a, a big league uniform, a major league uniform, grab a towel, sit in the steps here with me, and you're going to watch every pitch, and you're going to tell me what the pitcher is going to throw before he throws it. And I was like, I'm 13 years old. I don't know what the difference between a fastball and a slider, let alone if it's a change up and a curve. But I learned then and there. I learned what pitchers were doing, why they were doing what they were trying to accomplish, but most importantly, what they were doing with their glove. He's like, watch the glove. Angle of the glove will let you know what this pitcher is doing. He could flare. He could move it to the side. It could be the finger uh, with, the, with the index finger, with the glove that he wiggles on a fastball and maybe not on a slider or curveball or changeup. He'll do something. Maybe it's a tilt of the head. Whatever it is, the height of the glove, I want you to figure it out. And we're going to watch it, and we're going to figure it out. And from that day to who I am now, I can't help but look at the field and look at the pitcher and try to pick something up. And more often than not, even at the big league level, and I did it through my entire college career, did it through an entire minor league career, did it in Japan, did it here. To me, I needed to know, one, because – I was legally blind from my left eye, but two, it was just a habit that was created in 1983 because Pete taught me how to be able to pick up pitches. And that's one thing that I would love a lot of players to just focus on the game, help out a teammate one way or another, 
to win a ball game. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to goliathlife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to goliathlife.com. Well, that was Pete's biggest asset wherever he went was he was a winner and he played to win. And when he went over to the Phillies, he changed their entire outlook of how to play the game because they already had a good team. They had great players at every position. They just didn't know how to close the deal. And Pete taught them that. And I tell people this all the time. I remember Mike Schmidt swinging at a ball in the dirt and strike three and walking back to the dugout. And Pete jumped up on the top step and yelled at him to run. Nobody yelled at Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt was the best player, best third baseman in baseball at the time. Nobody in Philadelphia would yell at Mike Schmidt. But Pete did because he was instilling the fact that this catcher might throw the ball away. You need to run. The ball's yep. in the game. And uh, just little things like that with Pete uh, had to have an effect on everybody in the dugout. And uh, because – he played with with your dad with the big red machine and they I can honestly say they're the best eight players I ever saw on the field. They didn't have any pitching because they called Sparky Anderson Captain Hook and he said, Well, he knows how to take the pitcher out. I said, Well, he had to. They were terrible. They didn't have any pitching. You know, yeah. Rick well, one day he said, That's the only team I ever saw that could win a hundred games and didn't have any pitching. <laughs> You're, you're, you're absolutely, you know, and you're right, but they used their bullpen really well. And, and yeah. you know, the advancement then in that era, the, the interesting thing is what I learned mostly in the seventies about the Cincinnati Reds was the unselfishness of the players to be able to switch positions and still be effective. If it was all of a sudden my dad moving from third base to first base, once Lee May got traded and they brought in Joe Morgan to play second base. If it was Pete Rose moving from left field right in the middle of the 75 season because they needed to bring in and plug in George Foster to play left field. And after that, they took off. It was the unselfishness of being quote unquote ball players all in it for one objective. And that was to win a championship. Yeah. That they were, they were without a doubt the best eight players I ever saw at one time on one team. And, and you're right. They moved Pete Rose to left field and when they got – they moved Pete Rose to left field when they got Morgan. Yeah. And then they moved Pete to third base when they got Foster. <laughs> and uh, and you mentioned the name earlier, uh, Ken Griffey uh, Jr. Well, Ken Griffey Sr. was on that team, if you remember. Yep, and Geronimo as well in center field. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the best eight, eight players I've ever seen assembled at one time. That, that's saying something. When you, you – You've seen a whole lot of good teams and a lot of good players. There they are right there. And, and you know, I, and when you think about it, as I mentioned earlier, the, the last team in the National League to go back-to-back, and, and you think about how long that's been since we've seen it. We've had a whole generation of players come and go since that took place. Oh, yeah. What was the year they the Seaver got traded over there? Was that 78? My dad left. So my dad left in se- after the 76 season. He got traded for Woody Fryman. Uh, to the Montreal Expos, and then Seaver came in 77, I want to say, 78. 
Yeah, I was. I great. thought when they traded Seaver over there, I said he might not ever lose a game with this team. Well, <laughs> right. Eduardo, for you, you play with some good players. You talked about a few of them. Who do you like watching now? Man, uh, Juan Soto. I'm fascinated every time I watch Juan Soto uh, at the plate. Just seems like he doesn't give away a pitch, you know. And and I, you know, and then I love the grit and the focus that if it's a Bryce Harper has at the plate, also. Um, but there are those young players that I'm in awe of because they're so strong. Ronald Acuna Jr. When they hit the ball to right center field, Shohei Otani with what he does on the mound. And at the plate, the bat speed that he has, um, I'm fascinated by Nolan Arenado as well, because of the just the energy that he spends wiggling that bat before that pitch comes, or even on defense, watching him between pitches. I love the dynamic of the movement of players, and it tells me a lot about them between pitches, not when the action is occurring, but between the action, and. Um, that means a lot to me. I, you know, another player that that not a lot of people um, talk about is, but just the, just the grit, the body itself is like a Kyle Schwarber. Love that old, big, burly type guy that comes up there, and and you know what? He has a great hand-eye coordination, and he's able to, to 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 put the ball in play and and hit it with power. So it's not necessarily the big names. It, sometimes it's the speedsters. Sometimes it's just the guy that, that with this uh, Tim Anderson, that has a great bat to hand eye coordination, doesn't walk much, is sort of an enigma when it comes to the analytical numbers. Yet he does it. And yes, I'm a big fan of Aaron Judge as well, because a guy that's six, seven and can weigh 280 some odd pounds and play center field now and bet on himself and not take a deal to stay in New York, but say, this is what I'm worth and back it up. And oh, by the way, is arbitration eligible? Uh, his arbitration's <laughs> hearing is tomorrow. <coughs> He'll pull, and, he, and he's doing stuff like he's doing. It's, it's crazy to me. Um, but overall, I'm a fan of baseball. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with the game because it's the, it's the game and it's the sport that got my dad out of Cuba. It's the game and the sport that put a roof over our head. And before putting a roof over our head, it was also the sport that took him to Puerto Rico to meet my mom. And because of baseball, I'm here. You know, that's the reason I exist. And I know that. And no matter how much I give to the game, it will never be enough to what the game has been able to provide to our entire family. And um, every time I get my kids or my girls are like, oh, baseball, I'm like, just look up. They know exactly what that means. <laughs> exactly what that means when I say that. That's awesome. You know, every young umpire I ever worked with, <clears throat> I always tell them you have three responsibilities. And your first responsibility is to the game of baseball. And that might not mean the commissioner's office. It means the game, the fabric of the game, because you're the only official representative right. of the game on the field. Your second responsibility is to your profession. And that might not mean the umpire's union, but to the profession of umpire. You have to do what's right for that profession. And your third responsibility is to do what you know is morally honest and correct in your heart. 
And if you do those things in that order, nothing you do out there will be wrong. You'll probably be hated for it. and Somebody will try to kill you for it, but nothing you do will be wrong and you'll be able to go home and sleep at night. And you know what? The, the, that theory has helped me through all kinds of stuff. It helped, I mean, just uh, some of the trials and tribulations that you go through as an umpire, you're hated by half the people. Sometimes you're hated by the majority of people because you're making a call that goes against the home team. But you have to think like that. And it's and it's tough. You you made a statement one time. I I forget who you were talking to. Might have been Tim Kirchin or somebody. I was about to say it right now too. Well, you go ahead and say it. <laughs> okay. So so Tim Kirchin is writing this article and covering Joe, and and he notices you know that I I have a really good relationship with many, but really good relationship with Joe, and and um, he goes, tell me something about Joe, and I said, look, if I were in court and I am, and all of a sudden Joe's the judge and he sentences anyone, let's say to a 10 year sentence fairly, he'll be the guy there waiting for you the day you come out of jail. He'll pick you up. Let's go. But he is going to sentence you fairly, no matter if you're a friend or not, he's going to see it the right way, the just way. And sometimes you're not going to like it. But one thing you can say is he's always going to be consistent and he will always, always be your friend and he'll be there for you. But he's not going to be biased. He'll be right down the middle. And, and to me, that's, a, that's an unbelievable asset to have. Not everybody, is, not everybody has that asset. And Joe, you've always had it. And people say, oh, he's controversial. He's this. Look, he was right. At the end of the day, was he right or was he wrong? He was right. And sometimes right doesn't mean you're going to like it. <laughs> That's a great point you make. Now, you're talking about Joe West here, right? <laughs> and, and you know what, though, Mike? I would say this even if he wasn't there because I have said it when he wasn't there. And not to a lot of people's liking because, hey, Joe did. Yeah, but was he right? That's and and the that's the thing I, I think a lot of people won't accept when they get it right, it may not be the, the, the thing they want to hear or obviously see, but as long as you get it right, I think that's the bigger issue. And I think that's what baseball's working on now, getting it right when it comes to replay, when it comes to the, the computer as far as strikes are concerned, uh, getting it right. And, and it's amazing how we expect that from the officials when the players don't get it right. I mean, you have guys that go 0 for 4, go 0 for 12. They may go for the week. And they're not frowned upon in the same manner if, if an umpire misses a call that, that may sway a game in one direction or another. I always feel like there's a, enough accountability in the dugout with guys who don't do their job. Yeah. I, you know, and I've always – I tell players, and I tell them beforehand, I said, look, when I'm broadcasting games, if you make a physical error, anybody can make a physical error, right? I mean, ground ball just takes a bad hop, hits you right here, picks off physical error you throw it away physical error now if you make a mental error at this level this is major league baseball it's the highest level of all i have to then break that down i have to say that's unacceptable and i've always told players the same thing when an umpire makes a strike one call and he calls it a ball he calls it a strike or he calls it a ball against the pitcher you know you see a lot of guys lose it and i'm like dude it's just strike one 
It's strike one. Stay focused. So so be it. But what I notice is a lot of players have pitched this much out, and they might say, and it's strike three, and they don't swing at it. They they get all riled up. They get all mad, and you're supposed to. We don't pay attention to that. Now, do we pay attention to something like this? Yeah. And will we have our mental lapses? That's a mental lapse. That to me, and maybe I've never stood behind a plate, but that's their craft. And if it's a pitch that's missed by a lot, yeah, I'm verbally going to say something, acknowledge it. Why? Because the fan also sees it. And I have to make sure, look, what you saw is, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not in agreement with what you saw at home. But, again, if it's a pitch by this much or even five inches or whatever it may be, four inches, we're not going to say as much on TV as unless it's something that most likely was a mental lapse. And let's not forget what they see in today's game behind the plate is a minimum of like 300 pitches per game. The minimum of 300 pitches. They're going to miss pitches. They're human. The machine's going to miss pitches. You know why? Because it was built by humans. And that curveball, once it hits the dirt and the catcher catches it out in front and it's going to call it a strike because it's three-dimensional, then that's when those dilemmas are going to happen. But I do like what they're doing in that Southeastern League, formerly known as the Florida State League, where, you know, it's umpires calling it, and then the hitter, then it, can you check that real quick, and you have one check or whatever it is, yeah, it was a strike or it was a ball, and it's seamless, it's quick. But to have it automated the entire time, I think it loses the essence of the job that they had been um, put in there to do. And we, we still have to have that human element. I love the human element of the game. It brings up discussions. It brings back history uh, from, the, uh, from, from all the history that's happened in the past. And that's why I'm, I'm a little purist when it comes to that. All right. Before we get out of here, I've got some quick hits for both you guys. <laughs> quick? Uh, yeah. Like, well, there's no such thing as quick like when we talk. Here. Hold on now. All right, so so this goes for both of you guys. Best city to work in, best city to play in. <laughs> want to go first, Joe? Or you want me well, that go? was easy. Before they put up the lights, I loved Wrigley Field. But when they put the lights up, it, I couldn't even make happy hour. I had trouble making a last call. <laughs> 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 but, but, <laughs> what about you, Eduardo? Oh man, I, I you know what though he is absolutely right about Wrigley Field, man. <laughs> what 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 a town, what a great place, best home place to play for. I, I love playing in St. Louis. Uh, I loved it because of the fans. I'm not saying that because you're here, Mike. I'm not saying that at all because of it. It's a sea of red coming in. It's it's kind of weird, and it was really cool that I stayed right across the street of the stadium the other day um, on Saturday and Sunday, and that was. That was that was surreal looking out the window and seeing Bush Stadium right there. But All right. I enjoy playing in San Francisco also uh, because of where I work, the booth. I like where it's at. I think it's a really cool level. It's lower than all the other booths, and we can really call the game and see it well there. You mentioned happy hour, Joe. So what's the best bar in baseball? <laughs> There's a lot of those. <laughs> By the way, by the way, my first big league experience with Joe, actually, and I remember he was wearing that beautiful belt buckle of his, was in San Diego. 
in San Diego. We were still playing at the Murph. We were still out there. They called it Qualcomm after the Murph. But I, I, I walk in to a sports bar, and who do I find? Joe West right there. <laughs> yes, he greeted me. He said, welcome to the show, son. I flew to Montreal to work up there for the weekend series. And who's on the plane with us but Payne Stewart? And uh, he recognized us when we got on the plane. And he said something about us being umpires. And said, yeah. I said, do you know Mark Russell and John Brindle? And Mark Russell and John Brindle are PGA Tour officials, just like we are umpires for baseball. They were tour officials for the PGA Tour. <laughs> and Payne said, yeah, I rent a house to John Brindle. I said, well, then you must get a lot of favorable calls. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I said, where are you staying? He said, I'm at the Queenie. I said, well, we're at the Marriott around the corner. I said, go check in. I'll pick you up. I can take you to this little, little pub. It's called Ziggy's. And it's across the street from Sir Winston Churchill's. And it's a downstairs pub. And when we walk in, Ziggy, the owner, Ziggy Eichenbaum, comes up and says, do you want tickets for the golf tomorrow? And I said, no, I really don't. So he goes right to Payne Stewart, and he says, would you like some tickets? The bartender grabbed him by the collar. He said, he's playing in it. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> I had a rule with Ziggy because he couldn't use three or four sentences without using profanity. And I don't like to hear profanity in front of women. So I said, every time you use profanity, Ziggy, you got to give all the women at the bar a shot. Ah, okay. And two sentences later, he'd fire off an F-bomb or something crazy. And so Payne Stewart thought that's the funniest thing he ever saw. Well, of course, the women loved it until about 45 minutes later. They, they can't sit in their chairs anymore. <laughs> so the, the next night, we worked the game. We come back in there at who's tending bar but Payne Stewart. <laughs> and Ziggy said another piece of profanity across the bar. And Payne said, hey, hey. And Ziggy waved his hand. So Payne poured all the women at the, at the bar a shot, <laughs> just like nothing happened. Final question for both you guys. The one person in the game that you look forward to seeing because he, you knew they were going to make you laugh. Well, oh my goodness. Wow. I, I have to go with Lenny Harris. <laughs> <laughs> See? Right there. That's the reaction. Yeah, he was a, he was a good one. <laughs> Lenny Harris. Every time I saw him, it was something something out of his mouth would come out that you're like, okay, it brightens your day. And and he call anybody out. You talk about a, per, a player calling anybody out. Didn't matter they were star player or not. He knew what his role was, and it was to enforce that those star players stayed in the lineup. Because you stay in the lineup, I got a job to do, and that's pinch hit when I needed to pinch hit and come in and spell you once in a while but for me lenny harris yeah well i had a bunch of them and uh mick sherry was one of the funniest guys in Not the world sherry. uh dutch rennert dutch rennert one day joe tory came out and he says dutch he says how come is it you're so good behind the plate and you're so horse shit on the bases and dutch says, you know that's kind of funny joe but it's true isn't it <laughs> <laughs> He he was just he was funny didn't mean to be you know <laughs> but uh, there's there's a lot of good humor out there and I and I know 
why had word of God on this podcast? He just wanted some more new material, Mike. That's what it was. <laughs> can't wait, can't sure, wait for the Mike. next broadcast. That's for sure. Mike, you bring me on anytime you want because I need great <laughs> material from Joe. Hey, Eduardo, it's been, a, it's been a treat to have you on, my friend, and uh, we appreciate everything you do for the game on the air, off the air, and just how you promote the game in a manner that we all appreciate, and I want to thank you for being part of our show today. Well, I appreciate you guys for mentoring me and, and having me in this position right here, but most importantly, next time I come on, I got to bring the old man on with me, so. We'll yeah, do it. Fun. We'll do it soon. That'll Joe, be fun. For Joe West and Eduardo Perez, I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for tuning in and checking out 5460, the Joe West Podcast. I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you once again. Have a great day. My baby took me to the ballpark to see a baseball game. Lord, it had to be at least 99 in the shade. I was stealing a glance at some tight short pants just as I turned my head. My baby grabbed me by the arm and this is what she said. If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home. If I catch you playing the field, you're going to be long gone. You better play it safe and don't do me wrong. Because if you cheat on me, you'll be out at home. You've been listening to 5460, the Joe West podcast here on the Podcast Heat Network. Make sure to subscribe and don't miss an episode each and every Monday. We'll talk to you next week. She's checking all the signs. While I'm enjoying two of the great American pastimes It's fouling up my nerve watching all these curves Remembering what she said to me And if I get caught looking it's gonna be strike three If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone You better play it safe Don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well you'll be out at home If you cheat on me You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone You better play it safe And don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well you'll be out at home If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home.